Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Moore's Law is Not Dead with Jason Dunn-Potter, Solution Architect for Public Sector at Intel. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. It's always a pleasure. Well, this is your second time or third time? Uh, second time. Second time on the show. Jason is a colleague of mine. Joined us. It's been a year now. You, ju I just saw you just had your year anniversary at Intel. I did. I'm super excited about making it the year, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, you know, if, if you make it a year, then you might as well stay for seven to get that sabbatical that's coming up. That's what we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, today we want to talk about Moore's Law. There's a lot of conversation out there in the industry that, hey, Moore's Law is dead. We can't get any more out of Moore's Law. Let's talk a little bit. Let's dive right into that. Sure. Let's talk about it. So I will tell you, and I've only been here a year, but what I've seen in the last year has just been impressive. Um, and, and we've been a busy year. I mean, you think about all the things that are going on. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the launch this week is a big deal and everybody wants to talk about that. But I want to talk about the revolution that got us to that um, and all of the work that went into this. Um, you know, a long time ago, a, a, a great leader told me iron sharpens iron, right? And I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up. I wasn't versed. Um, and he said, listen, it, it's all about if you surround yourself with great people, you become better, right? And when you're great, you make everybody else look better. Um, and at the end of the day, when you look at what Gordon Moore and the giants that came behind him um, did, you can see how far we've come in just a short matter. Everyone, every day understands technology's changed. Just look at, you know, your car's backup camera in the last five years, right? Every time I get into a new car, I look at, you know, we rent, a, we rent cars all the time, right? We travel. Every time I get in a brand new car, I realize it's even better than before. Sharper image, brighter colors, all the technology advancements on the little things, right? Think about how big, you know, how much how much better your camera zoom is on your smartphone. Um, you know, we, we are aggressively moving out in every direction. I would say Moore's Law applies to a lot more than just the compute evolution. I think it is the entire technology evolution that's following. Um, so you still think that every two, every two years, everything's doubling in speed or performance or whatever the case may be? You, you still believe that? I do. And I, I will tell you, looking at our roadmap for 24 and 25, I believe it's going to be even faster. And it's an average, right? But at the end of the day, we... Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've seen this in our roadmaps before, right? Sure. We've had perform or size of transistors stall for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, some new technology comes up, and now we're three times, four times smaller than the previous one. So Yeah, and it all comes down to competition, right? Competition makes you better. It's no different than watching the Olympians uh, go out every year. You know, we, we everybody watches the Olympics, right, because national pride, but also to watch people at the top of their game perform things that, you know, other people just dream of. And I feel the same way at Intel when I see the engineering talking about, we sit in a lot of meetings and I will tell you some of those meetings, I am not the smartest guy in the room by a long shot. But when we talk to those folks that you can tell that have been writing FPGA code and building the actual building blocks of the future, that competition, that, that, that dedication to effort and improvement is real. Um, and the other thing to think about that is it's not just, you know, it, it's all the research and development that builds on everyone else's effort, right? It's, um, it's no different than like building a car, right? If you look at a, you know, if you look at a car from 1980, you look at a car from this year, 
significant safety improvements, significant technology improvements, just holistically a much better vehicle, lighter, better gas mileage, all of those things based on the, the capability, titanium safety rods, like all of that is, is now, I mean, we can buy that a bicycle now, right? I mean, it, it, is, yeah. it is significant. Like anybody can buy that at a bicycle, at a bicycle shop now in town. So, so do you do you feel that sometimes without the competition, that technology lags? So I, There's no I do. I, think, Where, I mean, what would you say? So I, my thought process is simple. Like at the end of the day, if you don't have anybody directly competing with you, then you have no reason to try to. Um, <clears throat> you have no reason to enhance your product line, right? If you're the only game in town, then you're the only game in town. There's no. There's no driver. Right. Business is business. Right. At the end of the day, making money is important for companies. But here's the thing. Right. I'm not going to invest money in research and development and advancement and capability and enhancement if I'm making margin every quarter. Right. Forever. There's no reason or justification to spend the research, spend the money and the energy um, to get better. Right. But, you know, when you said that, the first thing that popped to my mind was the 1960s. Sure. Right. The, The moonshot. We were in competition, right, with with the Soviet Union. The United States was in competition with the Soviet Union to get man on the moon. And we, as the United States, we're far behind. Absolutely. And then we weren't. Right. And remember and how then we when, when JFK made that first speech, though, you got to remember now, he's standing on an empty platform. There's nothing behind him. There's no rocket. There's no engineering. There's no shuttle. There's no nothing. Right. He is standing on a platform giving a speech about what could be. Right. And then nine. Right. And, later, and we didn't even launch our first rocket for four years after that. Right. Like if you look at the history of that, that process, the crawl, walk, run, as we like to call it. Right. When you go from just yeah, there was to, there, there was there was crawling, but there was no walking. Right. And now we have rockets that return on their own and land on a moving ship at sea. I mean, well, and, and, and that, yeah, but, but our speed, we kind of stalled because there was sure. no more competition. There was no more competition. And that leads back to the point, right? If you don't have anybody driving you for success and you don't have anybody, if you, you know, well, they say, you know, risk it for the biscuit. If you're not hungry, right, you're not going to be, you know, challenged. And if you're not challenged, you're not improving. Um, and it's no different than people who train for marathons. Right. People who go out and excel in some capability or skill. I will tell you that nothing makes you better or put up more Christmas decorations than your neighbor putting up Christmas decorations. Right. Oh, that is so true. Right. You're like, well, everybody did that. That was great. And then the next person got an inflatable and now everybody's got an inflatable. Right. And then somebody had those big stick deer and then it goes from there. So I think. All right. So so I have a I have a question around that. Do you think because you're new to Intel? Sure. So you, you can have a perspective outside. I've been in Intel too long now. I've been here 12, 13 years coming up. Do you think that maybe Intel got complacent? That we didn't have competition, real competition for some time, and now we do? And see, yeah. that's changing things? Yeah, or? you know what? Honestly, I think there's a, there's some truth in that. I think that we were the biggest we were the biggest game in town, right? Everybody knows the leg. I can't walk into a room of anywhere. And someone doesn't, when I say I work at Intel, and they're like, oh, I, I know what that is, right? They may not know everything about what that is, but they have name face recognition. I mean, there's there's a couple key companies in the world that if you say, oh, I work at wherever, people are going to be like, oh, I know what that is, right? Intel is that. And I will tell you, if I ask them to name five other chip companies, they will not be able to tell you that. 
right? Even to today. They may be able to name one or two. Maybe. But the by and large, um, most of the folks working in like public high school do not, you know, like like teachers. I, I meet with a lot of community service folks, teachers, firefighters, other folks. Uh, they may not be able to name three. Let's do that, um, to be fair, okay. right? And and so there, there's value in that, having a name that everybody recognizes, but you got to earn that reputation. And here's the other thing. Reputation is only as good as your last product, right? So, you know, there's a lot of companies, Sears, Kmart, and others, um, you know, we, we talk about some of these old uh, Woolworths and some of these other old companies um, that aren't doing so hot. And today, you can tell they they were the king of uh, king of things. I mean, Sears was one of the first ones to ever do um, the Sears catalog. I mean, that oh yeah, revolutionized yeah. The they they, they did online. <clears throat> they were online, right? They were the their version before the internet. Online seller, right? And you know yeah. what? They had that competitive edge for decades, like decades on decades. Yeah. And now, hard to find one. Um, and so you've got to always be, you can never be, and I hate to, I hate to dime on these companies because there were some really hardworking folks that worked in all of these places. Oh, a- absolutely. absolutely. Leadership, you cannot become complacent in your space. If you do, you will fall to Blockbuster. You will fall to the other um, non-evolving iterations of things. Um, you know, Fujitsu Film and the analog film business. Um, you know, Polaroid and the original print of Kodak, right? When we were kids, there was photo booths on every corner. There was 24-hour turnaround where you got duplicates and you get the negatives and, and all of that, right? None of that exists today. And it's not that the technology was going to stay the same. It's not. It's that the fact that it was going to revolutionize. Do you want to keep being that name in the revolutionation space where you're where you're moving out and you're you're being that edge provider? By the way, think about it. Think about how big Blockbuster was compared to how big Netflix was for 20 minutes, right? Largest retailer in the world, right? I mean, honestly, all over the country for for Blockbuster. And Netflix was a startup with 20 people, right? They could have gobbled them for for 20 bucks. Um, But they said, no, we're going to pass because we don't feel like that's a good business model for us. And Blockbuster, everyone knew the name. Everyone. right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and even my kids know what Blockbuster is sure. only because they watched uh, uh, Stranger Things. I, I think that's Stranger Things or the uh, one of those Marvel movies. Uh, yeah, one of the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. and they put that up there just to date the movie, so you didn't have to ask. Well, of course, yeah. Right now. Yeah. So, so what prevents a what prevents um, a large companies from falling, falling to so, that? So I mean, I, I think having a business strategy that ever evolves, you always have to be looking at what am I doing now and how do I get to the next plateau, right? Especially in a tech company or an industry that's service related where you're providing to the company, to the public, right? Let's take, um, I mean, look at, look at education, right? Education was books and libraries for yeah. Centuries, books and libraries, books and libraries. Okay, well, you go into a library today and it doesn't have computers and terminals. It's not a library you'd recognize, right? Not today. And so they're already making that evolutionary jump to say, how do I provide education and information exchange? Anybody can go home and Google something, but how am I providing content? And, how is it and different in a library? Yeah. Right. How is it different in a library? And how am I developing those, those, those programs so that people will want to come to them? Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I have a lot of experience in that, that space. You know, another one that just popped to my mind, and it's a company that 
that owns the market and had a huge competitor, and that's Walmart. Sure. Walmart's biggest competitor is Amazon. Amazon, by far. Right? Right. By far. But guess what? Walmart is kicking their butt in certain things. And they pivoted. And they pivoted in such a wonderful way that my kids are, that my kids that have kids, right? For sure. They, right? They drive up and the groceries are put in their trunk and they drive away. Right. Right. Because you can now go to the store and get it right now. And it's that, that right now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a, I want to handle, hold it in my hand. I want to look at the product. I want to know that I'm getting what I wanted. Right. Well, and then also it's funny because because my uh, daughter who's got kids, she doesn't want to take the kids in the store. Who wants to take a one year old, right. a four year old and a six year old around Walmart when it's snowing outside? No one. Well, look at look at Albertson, Safeway, Randall's and, and H-E-B down here in South Texas. They all have drive up curbside now. You can order all your groceries. Yeah. You pull up, they throw them in the back of the car. Let me tell you, if you've got a physical disability, if you've got to ride the little crash cart around the store, Nothing's easier than pulling up um, and getting those groceries hand-delivered, right? In and out, 10 minutes, you've made your selection, you had plenty of time, you can reorder the same things. It's not just a little better. It's a whole lot better for some people. Now, I'm well, still a little I want to walk the store, but not everybody wants to do that. Yeah, no, but there's still something interesting about that. It's because Walmart bought Jet. They could have just moved completely retail, but they understood one thing. People still want a sense of community. Mm -hmm. They still want to know when I drive to Walmart and the drive-through or the pull-up, I recognize the shopper that bought my that um, got my stuff for me, mm -hmm. and I can say thank you. They still want some connection to their community. It's also jobs in their community. It's also there's a lot of goodness yeah. that comes out of that, right? Um, and yeah. so to answer your original question, I think the big thing is always be looking to be more agile because that is the only way to stay competitive. And if you're not always asking, you should wake up every morning. If you're a senior leader in a company just like ours, you should be asking, okay, what's next, right? It's never like, oh, we're good. We're never good. We are never, ever going to be great. Like we, we are yeah. one product away from being replaced by somebody else. And there are a lot of other companies in the same trade space that don't exist anymore for the exact, exact reason. They did not evolve fast enough. They did not pivot to the next opportunity. Like it's a thing. So let's talk a little bit about, do you feel that that competition that we just talked about and the ability to innovate and be agile, is that what's really driving Moore's law? So or is it just that we're getting smarter? You know what? I think it's, I think it's definitely the competition because here's the thing, right? It's not one, nobody, no one person was the, the Gordon Moore of today, right? We are a team. We are, like I said, iron sharpens iron. We have a, a plethora of engineering assets and people dedicated to this trade. And they are working every day to make it a little bit better and be more efficient. You need a comprehensive team. No one person is the answer. I, look at, I mean, look at the CEO. He's not the only one that was on the, the, the chip design. It was a team of folks. Right. And it may have one captain right. in the ship, but the whole crew makes that happen. And everybody appreciates that. And I will tell you. So that's are you saying thing. that the systems are too complex today for it to all fit into one person's head? Is so that what I, I'm hearing? I, I don't know that that's true, because I think that there's some evolution like advancements. Um, somebody came up with the idea and then a team went to work to build that idea. Oh, um, uh, gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. Kind, kind of like Elon Elon Musk. Let's talk about him, right? Right. Right. Love him, hate him, doesn't matter. Mm -mm. 
respect. But he has moved. Right. He has moved industries because he went in that direction and he got people to follow him. So he is no different the space than industry, boring company, neural, you know, Neuralink. It, not just a thing, all kinds of things. But the other thing to keep in mind is that those people exist where they're outside the paradigm shift, where they say, why not? Right. Don't tell me yeah. we can't do it. Tell me why we can't do it. And then show me how we're going to get over that because we can. Right. Somebody said, oh, we've never done that before. Great. Let's go do that anyway. And this is the same thing. This is no different than the first people that invented parachutes, seatbelts, airbags, <laughs> crash things. Like, no way. Let's talk about the parachute thing. <laughs> sure. Okay, because this because we feel this way sometimes. We do. All right. If you and I were inventing the parachute, who would use it first? Right. So I will tell you right now, somebody that you trust, somebody who's got a whole lot of risk, <laughs> they're risk averse, right? They, they just jump in there. Right. Um, and then also, um, you know, do I need it? Right. What, what drove that innovation? Right. What drove that innovation was the military needed a new solution. And now we have hobby parachutists. That go out on weekends, and I mean they're all over the country. Where you can jump out. Uh, I've got a friend that's that's out like three or four thousand jumps in on his log. I mean he is a jump junkie. Um, and they, I, I'm sorry, I, yeah. that to me is crazy. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good flying machine? I will tell you that there's lots of uh, thrill seekers. There's there's a there's a I mean it's a, it's the best two minutes in sports, right? I know the Trump Kentucky. All right, so Jason, I have. I have to ask you a personal question Shoot. then, because you're you you're retired army. I am. So did you have to jump out of an airplane? Nope, nope. I was an air assault guy. I was a helicopter assault guy. I never got a chance to go to airborne school. And by never, I never. Was old so you? Go, I was too old to go, and everything hurts at that point. <laughs> but Pat Asplund on our team definitely went, and I believe General Horlander also went. Um, oh, I, I think he did. I think he talked. I'm pretty sure they that. both went. Um, it's very common for them to, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks go, it's not a, I'm not a small community of folks. Like I would say probably, I don't know, anywhere between 15 to 15 to 20% of the military has, has gone through some kind of training of that nature. Um, and, and it, it, that may be a little high, but it's, it's, it's definitely more than a few. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. Beforehand, we talked a little bit about this competition thing. There's all sorts of competitions. We talked a little bit about the Olympics. There's also war. That's sure. a form of competition, right? Sure. All these things drive really rapid growth in technology. Um, some for efforts, like for war, you're creating technology to defend and to destroy, sure, basically, right? Um, but there's some spinouts of that as well because it advances, oh. it it raises all boats. I, I want to I want to shave that a little bit because it's it's more than that. It's okay. So a lot of folks don't realize that the the policy and politics that go into war development, let's say technology development, it's not just to win decisively. It's to limit your opponent's ability to cause significant impact, right? It's also the ability to provide enhanced medical triage and care so you can get people back on their feet faster. It's also all of the things to do logistics and resourcing to the edge because everybody knows that wars are won on their, you know, on logistics. Um, and so it's not just, we're not just talking about smart munitions. We're talking about the entire holistic look at 
um, when you look at the, the DOD as a whole, right, how they do business, um, they find all kinds of things that they care significantly about. And whether it's better first aid bandages that get, um, you know, troops back in the fight instantaneously, we had smart bandages that had chemicals in them. So when they're exposed to blood, it released the chemical. So they put the bandage on, wrap it around, and that immediately causes a, a coagulation of the wound, right? Saving lives and limbs. Um, and, and everybody carried them. It wasn't like special troops had them. Everyone had them. Uh, Everyone had so them. People don't well, and, that, and that, feeds into, that feeds into the public, obviously. Absolutely. Right? I mean, and, and now paramedics are even better because of it, right? And we've got all of this technology advancement that comes out of these tools. Um, and so when we talk about, I hate talking about war as a concept because it's, it's so much broader as a discussion is some of it is just winning the information campaign so that people know we're winning. Right. Because if you think you're going to lose, you're going to lose. <laughs> right. That's how. That works. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's like boxing. If you go in there and you're pretty sure the first three rounds went terrible, the next nine are going to be brutal. Right. And you're not <laughs> making it to 10. Right. You're not going to make it to 12 rounds. You're, you're, you're out at four. Right. It's hard. How much heart do you have in the game? But but it's everything. It's all the technology that goes into it. It's all of the capability advancement. But let's apply that to business modeling. It's the same exact thing. If from yeah, a yeah. model standpoint, it's how do I maintain my relevancy? How do I maintain my competitive edge? How do I make sure that we have the best product on the market? And how do I take advantage of the technology hurdles that are coming up and say, hey, you know, um, no different than when we, we we've all seen technological advancements. We went from, you know, um, cell phones to smartphones. We went from, you know, um, old connectors for computers to USB everything, right? Universal simple, hot swappable, where I didn't have to shut down the machine to plug in a device anymore, right? right. Like all those little things aren't little. They're major milestones and advancements in technology. And those are the things that continue to push you to the edge of the capability where you are the forefront. This is where people know your name, right? We have a great commercial. If you've never seen it, it's the our rock stars aren't like your rock stars. It's fantastic about the creator of the USB. Fantastic video. And if you don't know anything about it, all it says on the bottom is creator of the USB, right? That's it. You don't you don't need a PhD understanding of how he got there. You don't need an understanding of the team and the energy and the hours and the years that it took to get there. All you know is it revolutionized the way you do machine work. And today, every person plugs in their phone to everything. And take yeah, advantage yeah, of that capability, right. right? And and yeah. and we are continuing to met Thunderbolt four, right? We took a USB C and said, "Hey, how do I get more out of that same connector?" Right. Um, just just one more example of of evolutional change, and it's not anything; it's everything. You have to be agile in every area, um, especially when you talk about you know it, you can have the best technology in the world, but if you don't have a logistics fabrication facility that can keep up with demand. If you don't have the supply and logistics channels worked out, so there's a lot of other advancements. It's not just technology advancements; it's being agile, being smarter than your competition on how to get the right resources to the right places at the right time. You know, cut down on the uh, work in place, right? Work in, uh, work in progress, the whip, right? Shorten the whip cycle so that you can get more to the field faster. At the end of the day, that's the stuff that drives innovative change in businesses. Um, no different than automating logistics systems. RPA screen scrapers that pull from analog systems and bring to digital systems um, and advance them. They're just any one of those things could be the, the, the change that you need. I mean, let's think about like FedEx, right? FedEx went toe to toe with the postal service for 20 minutes. And they were like, look, we can get you there faster, better, smarter. UPS has been around forever, right? For as long as I can remember. And then all of a sudden FedEx is like, yeah, but I can move it by plane and I can clock that package to your door. 
And then pretty soon there's a great meme about all these different like, and the post office sends you a notification. It's probably on its way, right? And then, you know, post <laughs> UPS sends you a note saying, hey, how far is it? How many days out? FedEx says, hey, I left it on your doorstep. Here's a photo. You know what I mean? So it's like this. And they're all so it, like, it, continually it's raising step. Yeah, it's raising everything. So this competition is great. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, Intel, because Intel, we compete really interestingly. Sure. We compete on the process nodes, which means the, the actual building in the silicon. And we also um, compete on the architecture side, which is what am I putting on that silicon? So, right? Yeah. I, I think the biggest surprise for me was to discover how much work we put into software. Um, some, oh. something like, I don't know, 15 to 20,000 software developers at any given moment, making the software side of the hardware more efficient between that, between the OS layer and the hardware layer so that you can get the best API maximization. Because at the end of the day, if the workload runs faster, then you think the CPU is running faster. You can't make a corollary that the software is enabling the hardware to run faster. And that yeah, is one yeah. example of that little tweak where people don't realize. When I say that to people, they're like, we had no idea Intel's got that many software developers. I said, yeah, but if you think about it, we're maximizing that one API and all of the effort that's going into all of that work is optimizing those workloads to get the absolute, like, like, like a, like a fine-tuned sports car, right? If you, you know, just having the engine is not good enough. You got to get in there and tune that thing and make it hum. And if you can hum it just, and right, then you also have to have something to drive it. I mean, you have to have some, right. And, uh, right. So someone once said the software is the soul of the is the soul of the machine. I don't know about all that. But I, I like where oh. you're going there. I know you're on the software. I thought that was interesting, right? Because, yeah. hey, if there's no software, then our hardware doesn't do anything. No, that's but true. That's totally true. Right. Um, it, it's, it, and so that's the other thing you got to think about. It's Intel can't be just known as the one company that makes one product. That's not true. It's not even kind of true. Everything can be autonomous cars to LiDAR and camera technologies and everything else, FPGAs and radar advancements. They do a ton of things. People have no idea we're doing all over the place. Yeah. And that is, that's yeah. a misnomer. And that's the other problem. Though. That's the one problem with success, I will tell you, is everybody knows you for what they know you for. They don't necessarily know you for everything that you do, right? Um, yeah. There's a Hell great, no, no, there's great joke about, you know, you, know um, you build this wall and you do all these things. Uh, but you make one big mistake and that's all everyone will ever know you. That's all anyone reminds you. Right. Yeah. doesn't matter all the good work that you do all over the place. That's the other thing in ethics, though, that I'm really excited about Intel is all the ethical work that they're doing and all of the work they're putting into um, community service and outreach programs and um, all the stuff that the, that, uh, the CEO is doing with community colleges um, to help push AI to the edge with OpenVINO. Um, and all of the, you know, giving it away. Like you can go to YouTube right now and pull down an OpenVINO and watch you know, 20, 30 videos on how to use computer vision. Open Vino and, yeah. and one API. Yeah, that's that's one thing a lot of people don't understand. A lot of the software that we develop is for the community. Sure. Right? Well, and it's not completely altruistic. No, right? I was going to say, there, there's a kickback there, right? The kickback is a yeah, of course. workforce development pipeline where I've got a junior high school student now playing with AI in seventh grade, right? That is a huge yeah, industry yeah, yeah. by the time they turn 25. Right. That is yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk about some of the new innovations that we're seeing 
because and we talked earlier about um, the process. No, we're 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 shipping five nanometers, which is super small, super small. Right. And and I mentioned this, I'm going to mention again, the coronavirus is 72 nanometers in diameter. We're shipping transistors um, today at five nanometers and in two years at 18 angstroms, which is 1.8 nanometers. That's really, really small. Just the fact that we're measuring an angstrom should be a world-renowned high five from a technology development. It, it really that should. is what tells me Moore's Law is never dead. Like it, that has never been more true today than it's been in its entire existence. Well, I don't know. When we start move, can we go subatomic? I don't think we can. I don't know how far. Well, here's the thing, right? We never thought we'd get past the sound barrier. And now you do it every day, right? Yeah. We never thought that. I will tell you, if you talk, if you've ever interviewed a grandparent from the 30s and 40s about the advancement of the technology, remember now we didn't go past supersonic until like 1945, right? And so they grew up there. Those crop duster engine jets, you know, the the, the biplanes of their time, uh, the P-51 Mustang, it was like the hottest thing because it was the fastest thing in the air until it wasn't, right? Yeah, and nobody yeah. realized you put that first jet engine on the side of a of a vehicle. All of a sudden, we're traveling past. I mean, if you've ever been to an air show, and I highly recommend them. If you ever watch the the Air Force Thunderbirds or the Navy Blue Angels, and they come by, and all of a sudden they fly right over the crowd, and like two, three, four seconds later, that sonic boom follows behind them. Um, that is an experience you will never forget. Um, be, oh, and, yeah. and that is just one example of they never thought we could until we did. And now it's until we did. Until we did. And no. I will tell you, if you ask somebody 30 years ago, ask, we'll go back 30 years and say, hey, do you think we'll ever get to angstrom measurement? And they're like, I don't even know what that is. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. And now it's about to be common terminology in our in our industry. That has got to be something to do a high five about in the driveway. No, no, you're absolutely right. Now, there's there's some you know, other other interesting technologies, not just in the size. Sure. But also in the way that we can develop new architectures um, through our chiplet technology where we can it's almost it's almost like we're providing an open an open door to say, come bring your best mm -hmm. and join it with ours so that we can make everything better. So I will tell you for the audience for sure, if they don't understand chiplet technologies, they need to do their homework. And this is what another thing we talk about with Gordon Moore's rules. We're about to blow the doors wide open on what you think you know a CPU can do, right? Man. Between the chiplet technology, and chiplets is the ability to put other chips with a CPU next to a CPU, basically on the same framework, so it can do a whole bunch of very interesting things. But on, on silicon, on silicon, right? Let's be clear. On, right. This is on on, on silicon, not on a motherboard. Not on a motherboard, like physically on, on the silicon. Like you can stack and package right there on the silicon. But then on top of that, you think about what CXL is going to do to the entire motherboard, right? And all of the devices and things. You think about what we're going to be able to do because of that, because of the chiplets, because of CXL, what we're going to be able to do with edge devices, right? Um, well, I mean, look at it. You ever seen the picture of like, uh, there's a great photo of like a Radio Shack ad from like 1980, 85, and it's got the camcorder and it's got, you know, the, the, the CD player and everything, all that stuff. Right. And then in front of it, it's got a picture of a smartphone and it's like, oh yeah, but all of that now fits in here. Right. I will tell you that I am really excited about CXL. I'm very excited about the chiplets. 
angst from all of it because I know that that is going to be the next evolution in industry. So this is not the time to take a nap if you work in IT and technology. This is the time to start getting smart because we're about to do a cheetah flip in the driveway, no different than when we first introduced USB, when we first introduced Wi-Fi technologies and people said, oh, it couldn't be done. It couldn't be done. Today, let me tell you, there's nothing we don't do on Wi-Fi, right? A yeah. teenager, the first thing they're looking for when they get to grandma's house is what's the Wi-Fi password? What's the Wi-Fi password? <laughs> I know grandma wrote it on the router, right? right? Yeah, she did. And you know what? She probably put it on the fridge. And if she's like me, I put a little nightstand literally on our guest stand now in our guest room. We literally have a little plaque that says, welcome to our home. Here's the Wi-Fi password, right? Yeah, my my son did that when I visited him. It was it was great. I didn't have to ask him for yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's and I saw it at a friend's house. We've copied it, and I will tell you that that is now the new normal. And because of that, CXL edge device chiplets, you are about to see comprehensive AI at the edge. You're about to see comprehensive cloud to edge architectures that are like nothing you've ever seen. So think about how fast we went from cable analog to you know dial up you know telephone modems. To, to Cat5, to fiber, to Wi-Fi. It wasn't yeah. 50 years. It wasn't no. 20 years. It was like 12 and a half years. We went yeah, from one exactly. to another fact, to another to another. In fact, I have, I have uh, 5G to the house mm -hmm. for my Wi-Fi and cable right. to the house because I have both. Right. Why? Because I have too many devices and too many kids. That's the problem, right? And right. And well, and then also you think about um, Starlink and the satellite constellations. We're now about to open the internet to the entire rest of the world below the Southern Hemisphere. These folks have never had the internet. I was talking with some of our leadership team about it. I'm like, hey, you guys might want to start writing stuff down because I don't think you understand. A third of the planet is about to get internet for the first time. Like, true the internet you know the speeds you appreciate every day they are about to find out and i will tell you there was a huge educational evolution about um i was reading a paper about um einstein 1.0 2.0 3.0 about how kids learn in a, in a technological yeah. environment some kids are visual learners some kids are book learners i like to read some want to see pictures some want to see demos doesn't matter the point is is that computer algorithm uh algorithm based computer training can now identify which way do they learn Reshow programs, answers they don't know. And you've all done it. You've all taken your corporate tests and they ask you the same questions over and over again because they want you to know the information. They don't That's just right. want you to get a wrong answer and just call it because that doesn't help you to get to the next plateau of educational development. They need you to know the data. And so we're starting to see evolutional technologies. And I'm really actually interested to see where education is going to go on that front and talk about competition. You know, who's getting the best test scores because the kids are getting the best education. And then what's going to, what are they going to invent because of the things they can now do? It's the pyramid. I think we're actually looking at Gordon's more. I think Moore's law is going to be outdated. Honestly, I don't think it's going to be accurate anymore. I think it's going to go the other direction. I think we're going to start. It's going to go faster. You it's potentially could go significantly faster based on all of the things we know to be true. Also, people are living longer. That information is being passed from generation to generation more. Um, and just that alone will significantly enhance capability because people are working longer. And then, you know, you learn from experienced leaders. The longer yeah, they've been yeah. around, the more they know. And the more they know, the more they can teach. No, oh, this is great. Yeah. Jason, it's always a pleasure. I always have fun talking to you. 
So I always thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate that. <laughs> I do. Every time we hey. talk, you say something I had never heard. Oh, oh well, I say stuff all the time that no one understands. So <laughs> I just want to know when am I getting my hoverboard? That's what I want. We've got all these people, but I want to know when am I going to get my hoverboard? Right. Yeah, I, I, I can ride it, but I want to see it in action. I want a transporter too, just so you know. I that would just saying the flight thing would be nice. I'm kind of scared of the the dynamics of how that would work out, but I like the way you're going. Hey, seriously, <laughs> and 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 honestly, and and one more thing, I know that we're going to get cut off, but um, you know, when we start talking about angstroms and the new fabs that are going in Ohio, I never in my life envisioned that we would get to angstrom development, right? And we're watching it in real time right now. As I'm watching concrete trucks and the, if you ever seen the time lapse videos of them pouring the fab for that facility, um, it's just amazing to see, and you know, angstroms in motion. I guess would be the best way I could describe. It. Yeah, that it it truly is amazing, and and that's just two years out. Right. No, we're not talking about 2030. Where people are like, oh, it'll take five, ten years. I said it'll be done in two. Yeah, right. I can't even imagine 2030 what it's going to look like. Yeah, it's yeah. Crazy times. Jason, again, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Darren. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.